Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The from page to screen. Your backdrop's so much better than mine. I, <laughs> I just had to clear all the crap off my desk. I'm like, nope, can't have a cherry coke bottle there. Let's hide that. <laughs> oh. I know. Well, to be fair, this is leaning against the back of my sofa, so <laughs> it's not as pro as it looks. <laughs> have you Hello. ever done? Hello, Paul. How are you? We're just comparing back. We're comparing backdrops. Barry's <laughs> winning, by the way. I think. To be fair, I think you'd be okay with that if she's winning. The backdrops. Have you ever done the thing where you've been on a call and you've somehow knocked the backdrop over? Because I've done it when I had a webcam and I was chatting to, I think it's Courtney Gaines from Children of the Corn, and my webcam just fell off. So oh, I had to drink no. quickly mid call. So that made me cringe. Oh, no, nightmare. <laughs> so have you ever knocked over your backdrop or could no, this be a first? Not yet. Not yet. I'm sure it'll come, probably in the middle of a self tape. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is a reason I normally only do audio podcasts, but I'm trying to do video a little bit more. But you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm used to just talking to people. You guys are used to hanging around with lots of people. So I've watched your film this morning. I finished it like an hour and a half ago. So it's still <laughs> it's still in my brain. I loved it. I I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, it's out now, isn't it? It's out today. Yeah. It's so it's out in the US um, as of day and it's um, on Amazon in the US and then in the UK it's sort of coming onto Apple TV and then it'll slowly come out from there as well as, as DVDs as well. How exciting is that? So I'll, I'll start with Paul first. So what, what's it like on the day when your film is released? Because obviously you shot this a while ago, you know, months, weeks, whatever. So, but today everybody will be starting to see it. So is there any like routines or stuff you have for a release day slash week not really i mean yeah we we shot this april 2021 so that's just over two years ago um and it was finished yeah like you know just over a year ago because we had a big post-production uh schedule with all the vfx um but no i mean there's no real sort of uh you know i think i'm gonna go out for dinner tonight and, and just you know, maybe raise a glass you know to that but that's about it really i think it's on to the next and what else needs to be done i mean the kind of work's done but it's you know i think it's nice to mark the occasion so that's what we're going to do i think yeah are you the sort of filmmaker that ventures online into the deadly world of film twitter to see what those so-called experts think of movies <laughs> I, i'll be lying if i said i hadn't taken a look <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it's, it is interesting isn't it just to see whether the work that you made or the intention that you made translated if someone says oh i really like the tone or i like the fact that it was done this way or the attention to detail in this area or whatever it might be if some people pick up on that and you know i'm i've got kind of like a healthy outlook on the good and the bad because you know every film you know is going to get mixed reviews to a degree so i'm not really you know if, if, if someone if it doesn't you know particularly you know go you know appeal to someone's taste that i'm not you know each to their own 
You know, I've got, you know, I'm sure if you went on IMDb and looked up Shawshank Redemption, you'd find a couple of naysayers <laughs> saying it was too long, it was too boring, it was just a load of talking heads, uh, didn't like the ending, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, we can expect that. Well, yeah. you look you look at Shawshank, how much money did that make at the cinema and release? Not exactly. a lot. Exactly. So, you know, but exactly. I, I think it's funny. I think one of my favourite, and I, I'm saying favourite in air quotes and a sarcastic tone, was one of the comments on the trailer for Fear the Invisible Man, uh, and it was, this isn't a sequel. It's like, no, it's not a sequel. No. And it's just like, part of me was laughing. Part of me was also mad at the comment. But then just, I just ended up just shrugging my shoulders. It's like, no, it's not a sequel. If you actually open your eyes and look at anything, the the poster, the trailer, it's not a sequel. Just come on. Get away from franchises. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. What, what about you, Vary? So, opening, do you have any traditions or are you going to copy Paul's answer? Like, Let's go have some lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good I answer, think, by the way. <laughs> it's nice to mark the occasion. Um, I'm sort of I'm quite glad that my, my family and friends are going to be watching it the second they can see it. So, that's going to be quite nice because obviously they've heard a lot about the ins and outs of getting it made. So, the fact that they'll be able to actually go online and watch it and buy the DVD, that's quite a nice feeling. But yeah, I think we're just going to um, raise a glass, go out for dinner um, and, yeah, get ready for the next one, really, which we're, we're already talking about. So, yeah. I, I have seen some stuff on you, which I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I've seen some on your uh, up and coming projects, Paula. That's interesting. It's similarly connected to this one, I think. That's like wonder what Paul's takes going to be on that one. So that's that's quite good. I mean. I'm still mind blown that the original movie, I've not read the H.G. Wells book, so all of my knowledge about Invisible Man is from the film adaptations over the years. And 90 years ago, the I guess it was the original one, I guess it was the first one, 90 years ago that was done. That was in, That's insane. And I saw that recently again, and I'm still baffled as to how some of the shots are done and I got that from watching Fear the Invisible Man as well. But obviously back then there was no computer, so I'm wondering, oh, were there some? But I, I don't want to know. So even though it'd be very easy, how did you do this shot? I kind of don't. I don't want to know. I don't want to take the tricks away from the magicians. Sure. <laughs> so I'm not going to ask you any of how are these effects done. I could probably tell that the, there is a big fire scene in it, which Barry you're involved in. I'm guessing that wasn't real flames, or you may not be here. But beyond, <laughs> beyond that, I was just. Just in, in, I can't think of the word, engorged. Um, I was into the storyline of the movie and I was sitting watching it and thinking, I like what they've done with the characters and they fleshed out the original movie and stuff. And then I looked at the, the plot synopsis of the actual original book mm-hmm. and you've gone back to the book more than you've remade the 1933 Invisible Man. And I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think I read the book as soon as I kind of got the gig, as it were, and I've I'd seen the film before, but I went out and bought it again just to sort of revisit it. But I think, yeah, I mean, the script uh, was written by um, a chap called Philip Day, and um, yeah, in in the original book, it's um, Adeline is or the Adeline character is dead, and it's and it's uh reginald the husband that is in the house and that's when griffin comes along and stays with him so philip did a good job just swapping that over to make it a little bit so it's based on the novel but it's just a little bit removed in regards that we just changed the 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 characters there and then it opens it up to have uh, like a possible kind of history between the invisible man and adeline 
from you know when they were back at university so that gives us like a a nice sort of romantic subplot to the whole thing that wasn't there in the original book um but apart from that i think we've tried to stay fairly kind of close to it as much as we could really um you know you know you don't want to make a complete copy but you don't want to stray too far because then what's the point in you know basing it on that book so you kind of need to do your own little additions to it um but enough to keep the fans happy but then offer them something new and not sort of make them think it's a sequel to the elizabeth moss movie which is sure will still blow my mind so what's it like when you get the call or the email going we'd like to do an invisible there's got to be a certain that's a big because it's a well-known project it's obviously going to be effect heavy in one way or the other be it practical or or cg or something like that so what goes through your mind when they're like hey paul we want you to do this well actually the film came to me via vari really because vari had already been cast and i'd worked with vari on our web series horizon which was like a, a lot of vfx in that so it was vari that put me forward to like the execs Eminem productions to say look i think paul would be a good fit for this uh, and then i met with them and they offered it to me which was great i mean to be fair it it ticked all of my boxes like it really it really did um you know i like genre i like spectacle and i like heart and you kind of mix them all together and we have this film um i love the victorian period um so it was just you know when i first read it i was really excited and i was actually praying that it wasn't shit if i'm gonna you know call it what it is i was really saying if someone's offered me this film i hope the script's good because if it's not do i do it reluctantly because it's a nice opportunity you know it's an opportunity to do a film but then the film's not very good or do i say no so when the film was when the script was good i was very relieved to be fair um it was bigger and we had to scale it down because I knew what we can do visual effects wise and what we can't do. So a lot of it had to be just be scaled right down um, to make it more achievable, really. But the essence of what we the original script that I got is still there. Well, the good thing is it doesn't feel scaled down from a viewer's point of view. It doesn't feel like and we, we've all seen films where we're like, oh, if only they had a bigger budget, they could do this. And they could. Oh, I see why they've done that because of this, that and the other. It didn't look like it had been shrunk down i i mean i don't know what the budget are. i've never understood the, the public and by that i mean people who don't make movies i've never understood their obsession with how much a film costs mm-hmm. and i never i never really need to know how much a film costs but i suspect that what is on screen is is far more than what the budget is if i said that right so i'm sure the budget was a lot smaller than people would probably guess it was yeah, I think that was something we wanted to make sure didn't sort of prohibit us though we were like we don't want it to look like a low budget independent we want to give it everything so people don't know or they think it was made for more money than than it is like we just didn't want to be held back by any of those financial issues that you do have with with any level of filmmaking but especially if you do independence so i think that was sort of one of the key things for us so we wanted to keep a certain amount of stuff in there which was really really difficult especially for you know like the art team um, props, the effects team, that was really hard. They really had their work cut out because of that, um, the costume team as well. So it was a lot of very ambitious people that managed to come together to pull it all off. I mean, sort of fair praise to all the set designers and everything. The, f- the film and the locations looked amazing. Got to talk about the manor house, 
Where where was that shot? And was were the interiors the same as the exterior, or were these different places? Yeah, it was the same interior and exterior. Um, and basically, we found it up in Gloucester on a location database, and I was actually looking at another house, and that was my backup. Um, and then we were getting really far down the road with this with um, the owner of the first house. And um, then he started talking money and um, which in hindsight would have been nice to have got that information off him beforehand. <laughs> and um, but, yeah, it was just it was about five times a day what we were looking to spend. And the communication stopped pretty quickly after that. And then so we went to the second location, which turned out to be great. I mean, it was a gorgeous house inside and out, perfect for what we were doing, just up the road from where we're based in Bristol. So it was just about 45 minutes away in Gloucester. And the, uh, the couple who owned it were lovely, really nice, really accommodating. And it basically gave us free run of the place, really. And it was good. And it was a really good deal they offered us. Um, and I, you know, I wish I could live there. <laughs> Look, stunning. I wish I could live there. And I've only spent 90 minutes there. I mean, well, how long was the shooting period? How long did you guys spend there? Uh, was it it was it 18 yeah yeah and I actually lived in the house during the shoot because it was during COVID so myself the costume head of costume and head of makeup all of us actually lived in the property together so I actually felt like a Victorian woman because in the morning they would come up to my room and dress me and get me ready and then take me down <laughs> so I was really immersed in this role <laughs> So some of these scenes where your staff are going, I've brought you some breakfast. <laughs> this could well have been them just bringing Vary breakfast rather than Adeline. <laughs> Interesting. That's good. But it would also help with your character, wouldn't it? Living in the house. Like you said, it, it helped you feel like a Victorian sort of homeowner and stuff. So that would definitely have helped, I would have thought. Yeah, I did. I, I left a light on. It was a very big house, so I'd leave a light on in the corner of my room because... You know, it's quite eerie and <laughs> spooky yeah. when you suddenly all the crew go home and there's just three of you in this huge mansion house. So, um, yeah, it was an experience. <laughs> Especially when you're shooting something about the Invisible Man, I would have thought that would probably, you know, you know you're making a movie, but you never know. It is, it is possible. <laughs> so it was, uh, and during the pandemic as well, I mean, that was, that must have been tricky and obviously added a lot of extra bits and pieces and stuff on, so... Yeah, I mean, we had testing as you do each day, you know, you get tested and then um, uh, you have, you know, little sort of temperature checks and stuff. And then every two, two or three days you have a proper sort of swab test just to make sure. But we had no issues. But I mean, the the, the big thing for us, really, and it was Mike Riley, our producer, which basically said it's me and Vari, really, that, the you know, if either of us get COVID, it's game over, yeah. like proper, you know stop production type thing because nothing we can't do anything about it um so yeah we were lucky that we were really kind of cautious and and, and we didn't you know get any cases or anything like that but yeah it was a sort of a troubling time really and it was we were looking to shoot about a year before and it just covid obviously just pushed everything back and people didn't know you know the cost of the ppe and stuff was just adding to the budgets and people you know just is just making it really hard and it was the insurance as well that people could, couldn't get insurance for productions because you know you could have you know 50 percent of the productions that the insurance company has insured shut down and need to be reshot or whatever but you know they'd go bust so that was the big thing that was holding everyone back was the insurance so it's yeah. a nice little sort of capture of april 2021 isn't it at yeah. the beginning of 
Yeah. So, because I've written my review up after I'd watched the film, uh, so I've amended the article that I did originally. And one of the things that I pointed out is the film is called Fear the Invisible Man, and sort of the title title character is the Invisible Man. But Vary, I felt that Adeline was the center stage of the film, and it's not to take anything away from Griffin, played by Mike and voiced by Mike, but a lot of the scenes that you've got, you're there's nobody there. There's just you reacting to nobody there so that does put you pretty much center stage uh sorry mike but you know what i mean so (laughs) so what what was that like acting against nobody what was the process there do you know what we we there were so many different elements to each scene that we did so on some scenes there was literally i was acting to thin air and there was no one there and then we had um Joe Trigger, who's a lovely actor, and he was a, he was um, Mike's body double, and he would hide off screen and read the lines just so I had somebody else reading in the other dialogue. So that's how we did a lot of it, which was really challenging because one of the things that Paul said to me is, look around because you don't know where he is. So your eyes will be darting around trying to figure out from the sound, on, from speaking about where he is in the room which is so new as an actor on camera because you're used to fixing on an eye line and staying there. So that was a a whole different challenge. And then on some scenes where there's maybe an item floating, like he's maybe wearing a cloak or hat or carrying a prop and you see that prop, that was Joe in a full green suit, face covered, everything, literally a lime green suit doing the dialogue to me. Um, and again, that had its own uh, challenges because, it, you know, it was incredibly funny when we first saw him in it. But he was a great sport, you know, walking around in this lime green costume um, with with whatever thing he had to hold that day. And uh, so, yeah, there was loads of different ways that we actually managed to do those scenes. But it was certainly challenging. It was sort of like doing an audition tape. Um, yeah but with the set and everything just without the other actor. So that's how I sort of went around it. But I had to do a lot of, it was a lot of my imagination doing the work. And as you said, like there's a scene at the end of the film where there's fire and, you know, there's gunshots and stuff like that. And of course, none of that was real. Mm. So again, that was just me in, a, in an empty room kind of going, oh my God, <laughs> it's running around with Paul shouting past the camera going this is happening to the left of you and fire explosions on the right of you <laughs> and i'm like jumping out the way at nothing uh, i must have looked really weird but <laughs> it seemed to work so but you yeah. could you could literally take all your scenes from this movie just put them in a long clip and go there's my showreel here's yeah. all the here's all the different things i can do but yeah, that must have definitely been challenging doing all these different styles of acting so act, acting against somebody right there's nobody there now yeah. there's a person in a green so Kermit suit or whatever, do yeah. that one. So how exhausted must you have been at the end of each day? I would think probably quite exhausted. Yeah, well, I mean, we were shooting like, I don't know, eight scenes a day probably. Yeah. Um, and obviously they're not in order. So it'd be like, you know, scene 13, scene 86, scene 48. So just keeping the order of the script in my head. So I learned all the dialogue before I even turned up to set, I learned the entire film by heart. It was just easier to learn the whole thing. So then I knew like, oh, that scene connects to this scene and I know all the dialogue in that scene. So I was I, luckily like I had time to do a lot of prep, which really helped me. Um, but then physically you're wearing a really heavy costume. You've got the corset. All of that takes a lot of energy. 
so yeah you have to really look after yourself and um and it was boiling hot weather at one point as well and i was in like 15 layers of costume and of course it running and all sorts of stuff so yeah it was it was a good workout <laughs> I, i'm always impressed when an actor says that so i just learned the whole thing it's like sometimes people ask me what date of the month it is i'm like i don't know let me check my phone i'll have a look so to, to sort of say i just learned the whole script props to you most definitely <laughs> I mean, as as a director, how does that work for you, Paul? So you obviously you'll have a script with you, but you can look at it. When when Vary's on camera, it's like, wait a minute, let me just check that. Unless you go post-it notes like Marlon Brando used to do, don't do that. So how do you, I'm guessing maybe you, or do you end up learning the whole script? Well, as in, what do I do in my yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, no, no I, yeah. I mean, obviously, I know what a director does, but with regards to the script, I mean, Varia said it was just easier for me to learn everything because you're going through this script again and again and again and doing your shot plans and all that sort of stuff. Do you find that you just end up knowing the whole script, or do you not need to? No, you do. I think for this particular film, or for all films, really, you should you know do as much prep as you can. And I think I remember watching an interview with Anthony Hopkins once about how he learns the script and how he does character. And he was saying that he reads the script about 150 times, or if not more, like 300 times. And he said the character kind of rises to the surface like it's a piece of film that's being developed. And when you read the script over and over, you can you just know the tone of what that you know scene seventy eight where where we are and 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 I find it's quite useful just to put at the top anything of that scene of that page, anything that's significant that's happened before it that you need to know, and it's just really easy then that you can just dive into that scene and go. Um, Adeline feels this, Inspector Addy is feeling this, or he's suspicious, you know, he's heavily suspicious by this point or whatever. And just so you get that sense that you can then relay that to the to the actors as well and say, don't forget, you're suspicious of her here. Or or if it's just where the scene is, perhaps it's being cut in between the two other scenes that are very fast paced that I'm planning to shoot like, you know, fast camera moves or something. So just being aware that the scene in the middle would have to match that style. Um, otherwise you're not going to realize it doesn't work until you get to the edit suite and you go, ah, the camera's all locked off where the scene before it, it was all handheld and flashy and now it suddenly stops dead. So just being aware of that, um, of, of the the overall thing. Um, and I think that's the most important, but I know I was very impressed with Vari knowing the script because of the schedule being so ruthless we would literally go oh you know that two hours we've got to film scene 76 well now we've got 45 minutes go <laughs> and the coverage would of the photography would obviously be scaled down but it's a real testament when an actor knows their lines and believe me i've worked on stuff where they don't and it's like that's your job dude to know yeah. the dialogue and if we're stopping every two minutes or every two seconds sorry for them to go line you know or they just you could see them reaching for the line and you're like you haven't you haven't learned this haven't you you haven't done the work and it holds everyone up and then it it forces me to do something where i'm cutting around or i'm getting more close-ups or more cutaways in order to be able to cut into their performance um uh and it can be really hard so for to have uh, a big arc like vari did in the movie and us, us to sort of jump around was was really a testament to her talent really because you we couldn't have done the movie like Vari said eight scenes a day was just mental you know um and then you would go you know our dp alex metcalf was gold 
where we would look at it and go, okay, so the first two scenes have to be their night, but we're shooting it, it's 9am, so we're going to have to black out the windows, etc. Then we've got a day scene. Then our other actor turns up at midday, which and his first scene is night, so then we're blacking out the windows again. And that might just be because of schedule of when he or she was available, nothing to do with kind of bad planning. And you just have to sort of work around all of that. Um, and it can be yeah, just a juggle, really, just a juggle. <laughs> Well, you're both amazing jugglers, so yeah. and, Al- and Alex and the rest of the team as well. So it's I wasn't sure what I, I'll, I'll watch a trailer, and then if I know I'm going to watch the film, then I don't tend to read anything about it or watch any further trailers. So I, I wasn't sure what to expect, and I, I loved *Fear the Invisible Man*. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the original one, but I love the fact that I put this in the review as well. It's a modern film. I did put it was, it was 2023. I may have to go back and put filmed in 2021, but that's still a modern film. But it still keeps the classic feel to it. It still feels like it could be a film from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. It doesn't feel, you know, there's not MTV editing in there, for example. It no. feels like it was shot classically. Every, you know, there's a chessboard in there. I absolutely adore whoever. I don't know if the chessboard was in the book or whatever, but I noticed early on, I'm like, I love the fact that it's mid-game. But at that one sort of moment when somebody's, you know, when you're looking at the chessboard, Vary, and that says so much about the fact you're grieving for your husband, you don't want to touch his stuff. And that was pretty early on that I picked that one, and then obviously it becomes a little bit more uh, talked about in the thing. But uh, the chessboard mid-game, genius. Loved it. <laughs> Well, the style thing was something that I, you know, we wanted to do, and and I spoke to Alex about it, the cameraman, where I said I wanted that classic kind of Hollywood polish, slow, considered, old school Hollywood look and feel. So we had, you know, nice, slow, sort of sophisticated dolly moves. We weren't flashing handheld. We, in fact, we never went handheld. Um, lots of, you know, it's either locked off or a nice little slow move. Like, I really like the opening shot of Varys to by the window when we see her and we're just in her house and she's silhouetted. And it's just a really nice slow pushing where it says, you know, it gives us the whole room plus the, 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 the sort of the pace of her life, which is the pace of life back then. And I think we were just looking for that. I wasn't looking to do something flashy with lots of quick cuts and flashy edits and stuff that's no we wanted to do that kind of uh that old school feel you know candlelit mm. interiors blue moonlight considered camera you know positions and and things like that miss miss misty churchyards yeah the uh, the, the uh, smoke coming out of the science beakers all this sort of yeah. stuff just put big smiles on my face because those are things that we you know, fans of classic movies are familiar with. So to see those touches in there, I loved the fact that there was a, it was during one of Griffin's flashbacks or flashbacks to his story, the bandages and the sunglasses. I'm like, yep, got it. <laughs> loved it. So it's for sort of, again, it, it makes me sad for the person who went, this isn't a sequel to the Elizabeth Moss one. It's like, go back and watch other stuff. Please, treat yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we wanted to do that. We wanted to do that little nods to the old, you know, you know the old movie um, and the book. And as much as we could put in there, we could, you know, anything like that, that, you know, the glasses and, and the beakers. And, and I like that. And you kind of look when we were doing it, you know, it's a lot of the scenes. You wouldn't think this. You'd think it's the, the you know, what scene is made up of the big dialogue or the big speeches or the whatever. But actually, it's the little detail shots of the beakers and the candles and the syringes and all those little things that just, you know, the old, 
you know, art department did a great job of all those little props and things like that, just to give it that that kind of that feel, that texture of the time. And it's very easy to shoot the whole scene. Someone walks through the door, they say a line, he or she says a line cut. But actually, if we can come off the chessboard or see the beakers, you know, along the table at the beginning, and then we hear people talking and then we cut to our actors, it just gives us a sense of the space a lot more. Um, and we were really considerate about that. And, and we also, Alex and I had this thing, which we would call close-up money where we didn't want to shoot too many close-ups um, and we would say oh let's spend some of our close-up money today so we, a lot of the shots were quite wider than normal just to get in the background to give it that sense of the scale or the housing the paintings and the doorways and then when it really mattered which is probably about I don't know three or four five scenes five sequences in the whole movie where it would come in quite tight just to emphasize something but we didn't really want to go in too much you know too tight and i think that's you know they say hollywood is in the you know the cinema is in the wide shot and tv's in the in the close-up so we just kind of said well let's pull back a bit wider and alex the cameraman was very you know on, you know on board with all of that approach and also uh, just build on what paul said that's we also wanted to build the world you know that's one thing that was really important to us where you get all the different locations and you get all the the different props and all the locations because again that's a production value thing and one thing we didn't want to do is oh it's a low budget independent which means there are really no props and no back like background setting or dressing so that was something that was really important that we actually got all of that in as many shots as we could to show that that again that the budget wasn't going to limit us on how we were going to make the film because hmm. obviously you got the the manor house Mm-hmm. The, the fields the trees that is all they're all things that would have existed back in 1897 anyway so it's like yeah. you're solving half your or oh, what we don't have a budget to do xyz mm-hmm. by just filming in those places yeah so that would definitely be a help wouldn't it yeah and i think like vari said actually about building the world i, I love that whole, like, whole idea of world building whether it's sci-fi or period or whatever and there's a shot in there that i kind of really liked that we managed to get in and there's a little nice addition where she's traveling to town to 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 go into to see the mayor and we have this horse and carriage shot and i thought i'll put in this stone tablet saying port burdock two miles Mm -hmm. and it just says travel it says distance the fact that her house might be over here and she has to travel and in the distance we see the house uh, we see the town and we know it's two miles away and in addition to that you've got this old stone tablet which is a nod to the of the to the period but it just gives the audience a sense of geography and the fact that there's this wider world out there it's not just in her house yeah. and i think if we try to make as you know like Vari said the the secret really to kind of trying to make these things seem bigger than they are is locations. And it's quite, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the formula for low budget stuff is minute, minimum, minimal cast, no effects, minimal locations, shoot a one location movie and then you shoot it. But we kind of threw that out and kind of went, no, we'll have 400 VFX shots, 20 <laughs> different locations, but it's about it to be fair. And I learned this on this picture. It's about how, you how resourceful you can be like the 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 um guest house that griffin is in at the beginning of the movie and the landlord banging on the door and all that that's a room in the manor house 
because yeah. there was along along the second floor of the manor at the back of a towards the back we didn't really use that i think there's a bedroom be used but there's a corridor and there's a little annex off that corridor that looks decorate is decorated completely different to the rest of the house so it's like well that could be a corridor in the guest house and then the room itself the wallpaper was peeling there's a load of books and it was full of old furniture so we took the furniture out and that became became griffin's guest house stuck a green screen out the window and then so we could put the london outside but this happened to be on the second floor of the manor house so then the green screen is then on the scaffolding rig outside the window in order to get the green screen so but you know our production team were looking for a guest house location for like three or four weeks ago we still haven't found this room but the not only is it trying to find the room but also you have to find room in your schedule where your crew travel to that location set up the kit decorate de-rig and then go back to the manor house which is basically a day which we didn't have but if we can find a way of shooting in the manor house we literally walk down the corridor put the camera down and we can we could shoot so it's about trying to make as many locations as you can to give it that world and hopefully give it that extra production value yeah because i think people who who watch films and that is i love the pre-credit sequence which very very quickly made me realize i was in safe hands with the film because we all get like that if they make a, a sequel or a, a revision for something that we love we're like is it gonna is it gonna impress me am i gonna go oh no what have they done but that pre-credit sequence very very quickly went you'll be okay you're, you're yeah. all right don't worry about it and then Thank the title you. comes up and then we carry on with the rest of the film yeah and i mean even that church at the opening <laughs> we you know we kind of did fall on our feet where we were talking to the owners of the the manor house and we said we're still trying to find a church and obviously trying to find some location you have to approach the owners and say you know can we film here this is what we're doing and again you're then into transporting your crew setting up nights all that kind of stuff and we said to the owners we're trying to find this church and she says oh we've got one Wow. And the owners had the church yeah. on their property <laughs> yeah. out the back, round by, you know, on the other side of the bushes. So we, you know, we could schedule shooting days at the church at the same time as the manor house because it was all there and it was a gorgeous church. I mean, it was untouched. Yeah, it was you know, it's amazing. But Grave, yeah. Like of the period as well, weren't they? So all the gravestones were. Yeah. were you know correct period and everything so it was it was perfect that's where we really everything sort of just started coming together and aligning didn't it once the yeah, ball started yeah. rolling everything was just clicking into place very quickly and i can imagine during a pandemic it would be quite difficult to find locations anyway it's like do i really want you are you going to be breathing when you're in my house well yeah. we may we may breathe no so that would have probably added yet another element of yeah. trickiness and juggling to your uh, to your skill sets i would have thought yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then when COVID was a real challenge on the days where we did have the extras as well, like on the bar street scenes and the bank um, and just making sure that, you know, everyone was safe. And we were really lucky. No one caught anything. So, yeah, it was. Do you. So it's a question for you, Vary. Do you miss Adeline? What was was it like when you play a character and then you, you leave that character? Does part of her stay with you or are you have you done that many films now we like okay put her in a box keep it there if i need to <laughs> um i don't know if i've done that many i'd like to do more <laughs> just if anyone's looking um i think yeah it's she was a great character to play she was really fun she was really forward thinking she was strong 
I like the fact that she was still an, sort of an elegant woman of that period, but there was something really strong and action hero about her as well. And so it was kind of fun playing those two things. So I do, there's elements of her that I think, I think when you're an actor and you're playing someone who's inspiring, it's quite nice to take those things from that person and try and put it into yourself. So I think that's what, when you get to play really good characters like that, it's actually, it works the other way around. They almost help you to become a better person rather than um, uh, anything else. But yeah, it's, I, I do miss her. Um, and I'm really glad I got to play her because she was a real dream role for me. Um, I love period dramas, but that character in particular, I just, oh my God, I was like, I need to make this movie before I die. <laughs> like, I have to play this part. And you, and you did, but please don't die for like 100 years or something. But no, it's, I think it is one of those characters I think you would miss because she's, and from somebody who watches films, I think we've all seen films where we watch it, the credits come up and we go, right, what am I going to have for tea? Mm-hmm. I like it when I see a film which Fear the Invisible Man is one of those as well, where I'm sitting here thinking I enjoyed getting to know those characters and I'm still thinking about those characters and what is Adeline up to now and what is the in- <laughs> what is the inspector up to? And, you know, I, I, I want a, a buddy series of movies with you and Wayne uh, just just off doing adventures. I think That's shared universes, they would work. I thought you, your scenes together were were great. Wayne was wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I loved working with Wayne. He was brilliant. And um, some of my favorite moments on set were where me and him got to do the really heavy dialogue scenes. I mean, for me, it was like, yay, I'm playing against another actor for a while, which was just really nice. But um, I loved our scenes and where the arc of our scenes took us and how we could build on those. And then all the subtext that's going on between the two of us where he quite likes Adeline and she quite likes him as the story goes on. Um, so we had a lot of fun playing those moments and um, he was, he was, Wayne was just fantastic to work with and I felt like it just clicked and yeah. Yeah. And it, the, I think there was like a good chemistry between the characters. And I think the chemistry comes off as a viewer. You can tell that's like, you know, these two obviously got on while they were making the film, but their characters like each other. Mm-hmm. Not, they're not just firing dialogue backwards and forwards. So yeah, the chemistry I think did definitely work, and I really would. Yep, buddy series, just you know, <laughs> you guys, yeah. Just, yeah. just that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was important when when I was prepping for the film, I wanted to really establish how my character felt about each individual that she comes across, and that you know, the second if we don't like someone, it's pretty evident the minute you see somebody interact with that person they don't like. So with, with the Mr. Wicksteed character, I wanted to immediately show I, I don't like this person. And this is just to give a, the audience a sense of a background history with that individual. And I, that's something I wanted to really show throughout the film with each of any small role, even if the actor was only doing one scene with me. It was like, what was my relationship with them? What's her relationship with them um, been before we meet that character for the first time on screen? So Wicksteed's the David Heyman character. Is that correct? Yeah. See, I really like David Heyman. I'm re-watching uh, all the trial and retributions with David Heyman in, at the minute. So I really like him. So I would struggle, man, because I'm not an actor, so I probably would struggle anyway. But pretending I don't like him, it's like, <laughs> you're David Heyman, you're great. I don't want to be mean to you. So <laughs> how, how easy is it or what's the process for you getting into a rattle like you? So I'm just going to – that's an interesting one. Um, it was really nice working with him, actually, because um, one thing he said to me, because I think for a lot of actors, when you're on set, you don't 
want to ever ask the crew for anything because you don't want to be called a, a diva. So I never say like, oh, could you actually, you know, you're all moving around in front of me while I'm trying to do the scene. Could you could you not? And he said, you know, it is all right for you to say, like, guys, can you step to one side just because, you know, we're trying to envision that we're back in the Victorian era. We're remembering lines. We're trying to time ourselves with the camera movement. And he said, you know, you can ask for for certain things so you can deliver the best possible performance you can. So I learned so much from him. Um, and he's a really lovely guy. And yeah, I was when he's playing Mr. Wicksteed, he's pretty scary. So I was like, this is going to be easy. <laughs> Um, so yeah i think um yeah so it was a good experience so paul looking back at it it's obviously it's a couple of years since you've shot it just over what's some of your fondest memories from it i mean i don't want to put on the poster quote it's not shit like you said earlier on but it's really not shit it's a really really good film but i think if you put that on the poster it people would take it the wrong way going all right and but (laughs) so what what's your fondest experiences from it all um I think there was a day, yeah, I was, there was a day when I was driving up to Gloucester because I commuted each day. I didn't stay up there. And the sun was out and I was thinking about the scene we're about to shoot. And I was just like, do you know what? This is great. I'm going off I'm on day, eight, you know, 17 or whatever on movie. And I met Mike, our producer in the car park. And it was, you know, like I say, gorgeous. Sun's out in the middle of nowhere. And um, I think he turned to me and went, should we go make some movies? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we just walked along this nice little country lane and we saw bits of the crew, you know, a few members of the crew arriving. And I knew what we were going to do that day. And and I don't know, I just like, do you know what? This is really nice. This is a really good experience. I'm really enjoying, you know, putting this thing to, you know, putting it together and and, and just, you know, working with Mike and Vari and Alex and, and the team. And, and I just remember I've, I'm kind of banked that little moment of, you know, it was like a, a, I don't know, just something special for some reason. But um, I also, I just loved, because I love the Victorian period, I just loved being in that world and, you know, being in that house and that, you know, you kind of feel that, I don't know, you're there. That's, it's, it's you know, something about making movies sometimes is like you get, it's the ability to time travel that you can kind of go, you know, I'm actually in that place. I'm walking around and, you know, I've got a project I'm coming up, which is a Western. And it's like, you know, it's like you're traveling back in time to the Wild West because you're surrounded by all of that thing. It's not like a virtual reality unit or something. You are in that location with those sounds and those smells. So I think filmmaking allows you to do that. So I'll be all forever grateful for Invisible Man for, you know, sort of letting me, let me do that really. Yeah. Vary's nodding her head off because you've done quite a few films set in the period times. So I'm (laughs) guessing you definitely do love them. Yeah, I do. I've I've got quite a few more coming up, actually. I think that's sort of become my typecast is period dramas because I've got a a medieval um, movie coming up, which is going to be shot in Scotland. And then I've got a Western as well. So, yeah, definitely. I seem to be cast a lot in period drama stuff, which is great and fun. Um, and also, like Paul said, it's just a chance to time travel back and see how people lived and what the world was back like then, back then. So, um, yeah, it's, it's probably one of my favourite things. But I'm I'm also hoping to do some more contemporary things. I did a contemporary thing last year, which I can't talk about yet, but that was good fun as well. It was nice to sort of do something modern. Um, so I'm looking for more of those at the moment. 
I think we liked the day that we had the horse and carriage. We were in Bath Streets full of extras because, you know, the street that we used, which is called Bath Street in the city of Bath, is 360. Well, apart from Primark at the end, it's kind of 360 kind of viewing of and you feel like you're in that period. And to have all those sort of supporting artists walking around and then you've got this horse and carriage that pulls up. And, you know, that was really, you know, such a, it was a really nice day that we did that. And then we had another day out in the along this country road which is really nice gorgeous sunny day where we just had the carriage going back up and forth and that was quite a leisurely day and it was that was a really nice uh, memory as well actually where we had a in like a splinter unit shooting on our day off actually from the main unit and just getting all these shots of the horse and carriage and you know the horses were great and i don't think the carriage was a particularly comfortable ride i think vario will have to no, chime in on that it was interesting because it was an actual victorian carriage um and so when it starts moving, you start sliding off the seat. And I remember all the cameras rolling. We're in Bath. I thought, well, we can't keep redoing this tape because, you know, time's money. We had several street scenes to shoot that day, including one with snow and all the fake snow needed to be put out. So I remember sliding forward going, oh, Paul's going to kill me if I can't keep myself upright. So I had to, like, put my feet, like, at the on the front of the carriage and, like, hold myself in position um because it's just it's so slidey and so bumpy um i actually don't know how women back then actually managed to sit still without bracing themselves <laughs> well that was going to be my next question it's like do you think that back then they did the way you did it or do you think they just developed their ankle muscles so much that they somehow <laughs> you know managed to do that thing that michael jackson did when he could tilt forward and you're like how's that work yeah, um, I, I I would like to think they didn't have to do it the way I did it because I looked very ungraceful. When you looked in, I didn't look graceful at all because I was just sort of like holding myself in. Um, but I, I don't, I honestly don't know how they did it. Um, even just moving around in a corset, you know, I was in a proper corset for the entire shoot. I was in full head to toe costume um, that was heavy, 15 layers. I was in vic real Victorian boots that tied up to my knee. Uh, so I couldn't get those off quickly. So I was blistered and bleeding <laughs> throughout the day. Um, and the corset actually started changing my shape slightly throughout the shoot. I started, you know, it does start changing you. And and at lunchtime, because um, <laughs> I didn't have enough time to get out of costume to go and eat, mm. uh, because I had to be the first on set and it'd take too long to get me ready, I, I just had to eat very small amounts <laughs> <laughs> so I was ravenous by the end of the shoot. <laughs> ravenous and exhausted. It's just like, yeah, just, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to sleep <laughs> and in between yawns, just drop food into my mouth, please. That would work. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was challenging on uh, physically for a lot of reasons. Um, and it's a real eye opener, actually. And People say life's difficult nowadays. It's like you go wear a corset, 15 layers in the heat, because you mentioned that some of the weather was really hot. You must have been melting. Oh, yeah, I was absolutely roasting all the time. Um, and, it, yeah, there was some days where it was it was really hard, um, especially if it was like doing lots of running or walking up and down stairs. They were always the hardest thing because of the weight as well of the skirts. So it was like carrying weights literally around your waist. Um, and walking up and down stairs with them. And then everyone would go, let's go for another take. And I'd be like, oh, my God, <laughs> just pull myself back up the staircase again. <laughs> you, you've, you've got, like, Paul and Alex going, yeah, do it again, Barry. <laughs> yep, do it again. Yeah, in our T-shirts and jeans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
but it's great. I loved it. It's uh, so you mentioned uh, things that you've got coming up. What can you talk about? I'll go to Paul first, just because why not? He's, he's there. Yeah, sure. uh, so what what can you talk about that you've got coming up? Well, we've got this western that we want to do, so um, which is really uh, exciting. It's been written by a friend of mine called Jim Griffin, and it's a supernatural western about a haunted town in 1885. Um, and we're going to be filming it over in southern Spain, which is uh, in the town built for a few dollars more. Oh. So we're actually... Yeah. Do you need somebody to make tea? I'll come over and do it. <laughs> I mean, wow. literally the Yellow Rose Hotel and all that is all still there. And, and um, yeah, so we're looking to do that. We're just in the process now of casting and trying to get the finance together. And then uh, I've got a Christmas script that I'm going to do after that. So I'm kind of busy, hopefully, for the next couple of years. That'd be really nice to kind of put those two projects together. But I'm looking forward to doing the Christmas one purely because it's contemporary. I mean, this would be the first three films that I've done that are all set in like 1890. Like I haven't, you know, I've spent most of my time in the VFX suite painting out light switches and telegraph poles and stuff like that that just shouldn't be there. So it'd be nice to actually have, you know, kind of some contemporary action and, and, and some modern day, you know, so we'd have to worry about corsets and, and resetting horse and carriages it just becomes you know walking down the street in 2024 or whatever but yeah so i've got a western and a christmas movie so i'm really excited about both you've also got a frankenstein project on your filmography which is the one i touched upon earlier that's kind sure. of related that, to this but yeah so that's that's probably going to come out later this year so um it's unrelated to invisible man it's the mm. same sort of uh production companies um but it's kind of like yeah it's kind of like my own dark universe really i suppose yeah it's kind of it's in the same world it's the same tone and feel so we had to be really careful that i just didn't want to repeat myself but um again it was written by jim who wrote the western um and um yeah really excited about it really kind of um we tweaked the story a little bit it's uh it's something it's it's set 100 years after frankenstein so the first opening montage, we kind of zoom through the hundred years of, of, of you know what's been what's happening since eighteen or since seventeen ninety. So we're set, it was set in eighteen ninety, and it's a family um, who have come across um, Frankenstein's diary. So and it's all about yeah family really and how the family falls apart. So when the trailer for that drops on YouTube, I will be looking to see if some dumbass is like, it's got Robert De Niro in it. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> I will be looking for that comment. <laughs> so, Vary, what can you talk about? You've got coming up very soon. I know you've touched upon stuff briefly, but uh, what have you got? So um, I also have a Western film coming up um, uh, that is called Gun Hand, and we're filming over in Spain uh, in the same location, actually, as well, but it's a straight drama, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, the director's news, a first-time feature director. He's really talented. Paul's actually producing it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's involved uh, yeah we're sort of mixing we've got like almost the similar teams or same teams involved in both so it's actually quite nice little um couple of films that we're doing all as a family unit um and then i also have a medieval horror film that i'm shooting in scotland uh which i'm really excited about i've got to learn a lot of new skills for it sword fighting with a broadsword and archery and things like that so that's going to be a lot of fun as well it'll be interesting doing all that action in another period costume as well um so yeah it's a nice mix 
Well, you are trained in some martial arts anyway, Krav Maga and stuff being one of them. So it's always good when you could use that on screen, I think, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely fun when you get to use that. And it's quite um, what's really interesting is rehearsing suddenly when you've got all the, all the costumes on and stuff. It's like it's very different. You have to change the way you move quite quickly as well. So that's going to be fun. So that's sort of the next two feature films that I can sort of talk about that I've got coming up. But I will, I'm not going to focus too much on them because everybody should be concentrating on Fear the Invisible Man. Sometimes my brain needs to go into like Fear the Walking Dead because I've been rewatching that recently. So when I'm thinking <laughs> of the title, it's like, no, go down that road, Fear the Invisible Man. But people need to concentrate on that one. If you like films that are classic based, so yes, they're made now, but feel like some of the original classic movies, Ghost of Mrs. Muir, that sort of thing, uh, the original Invisible Man and whatnot, I would highly recommend checking out the film and that's not just because i'm speaking to you two who were involved making it i genuinely had a blast watching it so thank you very thank much you. for that thank, thank you so, so what have you got planned for the rest of your day you're going to go out and get some sun if it's i, I could see sun coming out of your uh your <laughs> coming through your window paul the backdrop hasn't fallen over virus so that's good <laughs> What have you got planned? I've got a bit of work to do actually on on a couple of projects and a, you know a couple of other things and catch up on a bit of admin really and yeah kind of everything's been done now for the Frankenstein film so I'm kind of all my work's been done on that so I can focus on a bit more of the other things looking forward but yeah kind of chilling out a little bit I think now it's all done and dusted and yeah enjoy your release day enjoy the film is now out there so Vary what are you up to today? Uh, again, like Paul, I've got a little bit of work I need to do for the other productions. It's it, it never stops. You sort of finish one and then roll straight into the next and trying to get that one onto its up on its feet. So, yeah, so focusing on that at the moment. And uh, but I'm definitely going to try and get some sun as well. It's nice. Definitely. Well, I'm going to try and get this online today. So I've got my screens behind me. Uh, I've got my editing suite open. You know, screens off obviously at a minute to try and get that on because it is release day and. I think people should be able to hear more about the film on the day it came out. But thank you to the pair of you and everybody else involved in making the movies. I definitely appreciate it. So no thank problem. you. Thank you so much. Right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your Take time. care. Anytime. Anytime. Bye. 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 Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.